Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Loose Ends, The Singh Family Tragedy. This is episode 32, The Smoking Gun. My name is Graham Crowley. Thank you very much for joining me. As usual, this podcast has been created for an adult audience. Listener discretion is advised. I thought episode 31 was going to be the last episode for this podcast. That was three months ago. A recent discovery by Jeff Johnson tells a disturbing story and needs to be told. And here we are. There's quite a bit to catch up on. The continued feedback and support is appreciated. My inbox and both Facebook pages have been flooded with comments, suggestions and feedback. Thank you. A listener asked a friend, a King's Council to review claims made by the solicitor, Jeff Johnson, in relation to the Holzinger case. As you would know, Jeff Johnson is claiming that the Attorney-General is relying on that court judgment to refuse to disclose reasons why she does not refer matters to the Court of Appeal. The KC confirmed that Jeff Johnson is on the money and agreed with his interpretation of the law. If you are wondering why you have not heard the term KC before, it is because they used to be called QCs, Queen's Council. But with the passing of Queen Elizabeth, the title changed to KC. And as I have said previously, Mr Holzinger himself has appealed his conviction. Likely, the AG will refuse to refer his case to the Court of Appeal and rely on case law from the Holzinger case for refusing to provide reasons. So get this, you appeal your conviction and the AG uses your own conviction as a reason for not providing reasons for referring your case to the Court of Appeal. Beyond weird. I have been contacted by a listener who holds power of attorney over the affairs of Werner Holzinger whilst he serves his term of life imprisonment. This is the same Holzinger you have heard Jeff Johnson speak of frequently on this podcast. As Werner Holzinger is 76 years of age, he will likely die in prison. His power of attorney claims Holzinger's conviction was flawed. I don't propose to go into the merits or otherwise of his conviction, but merely wish to comment that it has an interesting domino effect in my view. The Crown are relying on the Holzinger judgment as case law in the Seeker case and other cases. 
It is highly likely that in years to come, possibly already, the Crown will rely on the seeker conviction as case law in some other case. So we have a situation where a case being decided by a flawed case, which itself was decided by a potentially flawed case. Hence why I call it the domino effect. The Max Seeker case has huge implications, none good for the Queensland Government and the Queensland Police Service, the QPS. The Queensland Government is in the midst of a law and order crisis. Queenslanders would be well aware of that. Others not so much. Juvenile crime is at unprecedented levels in this state. Just the other day, three people were killed and another close to death in a car crash caused by a stolen Mercedes driven by a 13-year-old boy. Four people just going about their daily lives. And that was not an isolated incident. The last thing this government needs is a convicted triple murderer being allowed to appeal his conviction, and especially one named Massimo Seeker. And a politician gets to decide whether the convicted triple murderer can appeal his conviction. What happened to the doctrine of separation of powers? You do not need to be a genius to work out the decision the Attorney-General will make. She will have to be dragged kicking and screaming to the Court of Appeal if that is even possible. Just as the Queensland Government was dragged kicking and screaming to the recent DNA inquiry. I'm confident in saying that had a national newspaper not been behind that push, the DNA inquiry would never have happened. Despite almost daily media reports about the DNA crisis, the Queensland Government delayed, stalled, denied and obfuscated for more than seven months before announcing an inquiry. What chance does a retired solicitor who lives in New South Wales and me, a no-name podcaster, have of the Queensland Government taking notice of claims of serious problems with a conviction? However, neither Jeff nor myself will be giving up any time soon. Recently, I wrote to Queensland Attorney-General Shannon Fenneman. Not that I expect an answer, nor do I expect she will take any notice of the email. She is a politician first. Without going into all the details of the email, I am in a unique situation where I am broadcasting three true crime podcasts and all three cases require the urgent intervention of the Attorney-General. I advise the Attorney-General that for many reasons, this case urgently needs to return to the Court of Appeal. You can find the full email on the Facebook pages Loose Ends and Graham Crowley Podcast Investigations. Jeff Johnson has also been busy writing to the Crown Law Office about his petition before the Attorney-General. Three recent letters he wrote will be found on both Facebook pages. For that reason, it is best that he does not come onto the podcast to discuss the recent new evidence he uncovered. Far better, he maintains a distance and let the Attorney-General and Crown Law assess his claims. The claims as set forth 
in the petitions are substantial and any reasonable Attorney-General would refer the case to the Court of Appeal for review. I personally think the Department of Public Prosecutions, the DPP, the Attorney-General and Crown Law will be hard-pressed to ignore his most recent correspondence. But I'll leave it to you to reach your own decision. I would suggest all three departments are likely going into damage control mode right now. They have and continue to ignore the retired solicitor and the no-name podcaster. They will have more difficulty ignoring mounting evidence of serious police misconduct and corruption. Watch this space. This podcast has evolved as it has progressed. It was originally about a brutal triple murder. The police investigation, how personal opinions can derail investigations, how not all evidence reaches a jury, the significant part the media plays in murder investigations, how trials come down to win at any cost, and now it is about what is happening to our judicial system and how the judicial system embraces a jury verdict at any cost and refutes all suggestions there may have been a miscarriage of justice. There are many instances of that occurring. Too many to name here, actually. A recent case is the Henry Keogh case in South Australia, and the South Australian government continues to bury its collective head in the sand over the Keogh case and the far-reaching implications of that case. The lengths the South Australian police, the South Australian DPP and the South Australian government went to protecting the very unsatisfactory conviction of Henry Keogh were extraordinary. For a long time, Henry Keogh was the most hated man in South Australia. I expect you will hear his name for years to come regarding cases in South Australia. If I told you the lengths the South Australian government went to, you would refuse to believe me. Renowned journalist Graham Archer wrote a compelling book on the case titled Unmaking a Murder. I highly recommend it to you. Recently, I created a short video which I have placed on YouTube and on the Facebook pages, simply called The Max Seeker Murders. It is what the industry calls a teaser. I am an amateur, so be kind with your criticism. The idea came to me whilst I was attempting to summarise the case for a television producer. I decided I needed something short, sharp and succinct to be able to say here. Have a look at this. This is what this story is about. And the video was born. I do not go into details of the case, of course, in the video. That would take a two-hour video, not a ten-minute one. If you can watch that video and listen to the podcast and tell me there is no problem with the conviction, that Max Seeker was the killer, that I am unfairly beating up on the Queensland Police Service, then I invite you to tell me how I am misinterpreting the evidence or what evidence I am missing. I do stand behind every single claim I made in that video, just as I stand behind every claim 
I have made in the podcast. And now to this episode, The Smoking Gun. There were many aspects of the Singh Murders police investigation that troubled me. One perhaps more than others. The finding of the murder weapon 13 days after the killings. In the crime scene. By accident. Hiding in plain sight. And no photographs of that area of the crime scene, nor of the garden fork, were taken during the exhaustive crime scene analysis, apparently. For me, that was a huge red flag. I covered that subject in depth in episode 18, which I called A Noble Cause. A year ago, actually. I will get to the reason why I'm raising that episode directly. In episode 18, I wondered aloud whether the arrest of Max Seeker was not a case of noble cause corruption. I couldn't believe highly trained police officers didn't inspect a garden fork hiding in plain sight, didn't photograph an entire area of a crime scene, didn't fingerprint an entire area of a crime scene. I wondered whether a rogue police officer tampered with the footprint evidence and the garden fork evidence unbeknown to the rest of the investigators. I couldn't believe only two photos of the area were taken and none of the garden fork in situ, and no video. I couldn't believe four Sockos gave sworn evidence they saw the garden fork behind the barbecue during their search of the crime scene, but no one inspected it, not until the arresting officer stumbled across it. You may remember those memorable exchanges from frustrated defence barrister De Carlo with various police witnesses played in that episode. Clearly, De Carlo did not believe the witnesses either. Those questions and answers take on a new significance in light of the image discovered by Jeff Johnson, the smoking gun. I am replaying several of those recordings here. Those recordings do not represent all the evidence given at trial and the committal regarding the garden fork. You were told something. Why did it cause you to look for a knife? We were told that injuries on the victims had been caused by a knife and possibly other injuries caused by a firearm. So, hence, the search for a knife as a potential weapon and a timber paddle. And the timber paddle we were searching for, I was told information from someone that a timber paddle was located in the ensuite area where the bodies were and a similar timber paddle was alleged to be located, stored all kept in the garage amongst the cooking equipment. We were asked to see if there were any more wooden implements of a similar nature. You recall that being asked of you? Yes, I recall that we were asked to look for a wooden paddle and a knife. Okay, well, did you find a wooden paddle and a knife? We were looking for knives that may have blood on them, so we were performing presumptive blood tests on those and the wooden paddle. We located one in the area of those boxes. Okay. And, of course, you saw the barbecue and the gardening equipment when you were searching this area. Absolutely, because a knife was located there. Where the gardening equipment was? 
Yes. And there's no question in your mind that protruding from the top of the barbecue you saw the handles of a number of gardening implements, including perhaps a shovel and other items. I don't recall the shovel. I mean, the reason why I allude to gardening equipment is we were trying to understand the purpose of the knife where it was located. It was out of context where you would find a knife in a house. And that's what drew our interest to it and the number of tests we were performing on it to determine if there was blood on it. The evidence in relation to looking for blood on a knife was because at the time, the information was that it was assumed the weapon was a knife. So, hence, none of the other items in the garage, to be specific, none of the other items in the garage were picked up and examined for blood other than a knife or a timber paddle. Okay, and you saw these items on the first day? Yes, there were items there for gardening, which I've just described. Alright, a pitchfork? Pitchfork and a shovel, or just a pitchfork. A whippersnipper laying on the ground or hanging on the wall, and a rake or some sort of broom maybe. But you're looking for anything that might be of forensic value, aren't you? Can I ask you whether you in respect of those boxes, performed a spiral grid search, a spiral search, a grid search, a line search, or the other search that you couldn't recall? Probably the best question I give you is probably all four. Okay. And, of course, that would involve moving objects to have a look. In order to see the pot, you must have opened the boxes, because the pots weren't exposed. They were in boxes, correct? Absolutely. If we couldn't see in it, we'd have to look into it exactly. Did you, on that day, look in the garage area? Yes. That day a search then commenced of the house in general, the lower level specifically on the second day. A knife, a timber paddle and possibly a handgun were the items we were searching for on the second day. Witness Shane was tasked to do the same job as you. He went against the western wall which is almost bare, and at times he spent up to 15 minutes looking at a blank wall to see if he could find a spot of blood? That's true. At a blank wall? That's true. But, witness, if you're looking in that garage for anything that might have blood on it, surely, and if you're involving a number of searches, the grid, and I'll go through them again, and these are your words... The spiral, the grid, the sectoring, the line search, and today you've qualified that, and I accept that by saying I used part of each of these to combine this search. Wouldn't you accept if you're looking for blood, and they're the sorts of things anywhere on that eastern wall that you would be looking at? No, because we were specifically looking for blood that had fallen there as a result of the offence. For example, if someone had been stabbed or assaulted in that location... The evidence in relation to looking for blood on a knife was because at the time, the information was that it was assumed the weapon was a knife. So, hence, none of the other items in the garage, to be specific, none of the other items in the garage were picked up and examined for blood other than a knife or a timber paddle. The objects behind the barbecue, you know, the assumption is made that, obviously, they're not going to receive blood if the offence has occurred this side of it because it is shadowed by the barbecue. 
So that's exactly why Shane was looking at the brick wall for a period of time because it was a fixed object. We were trying to see if the garage had any relevance to the crime scene, as in, did the offences actually occur in that location? It is not the truth. You're making this up as you go along. Let me quote something from the committal. Do you recall me asking you this question? Tell me what you understand when Fiona told you to examine the garage, including the two vehicles. What does that mean to you? And your answer? Well, it would have been specifically to examine that area for any physical evidence that may relate to the offence. And then I ask you, and is a pitchfork with bloodstains over it that would be shown up when you shone your torch physical evidence that might be related to an offence? And you say, in hindsight, absolutely. Do you recall that? In hindsight, if I had picked up the pitchfork and examined it for blood, I'm sure we wouldn't have had this question right now. All right. So, in effect, you see, your answer at that particular time, and I am suggesting is, was the truth in this sense, that, in effect, you hadn't been told specifically to look for a knife or a fork or a paddle or a gun. They may have been factors that you were looking for, but you were asked to examine the whole of the garage like you would do forensically for any job. That's true. We were examining the garage in context for the offence that had occurred. So, hence, we were looking for blood on the cars, on the walls, if someone had been assaulted in that location. As I have said in the committal, we were looking at items in that, in a superficial search, I think it's probably the best term in that initial early days of a crime scene examination where we... If we don't have to move something, we don't move it. If we can see under, over, behind an object for what is there, we do so and we don't move items. The only difference being in the garage and, as I alluded to in the committal, was a thorough search was made of the boxes and the cooking equipment in order to ensure that there was not a wooden paddle amongst it and also to look for a knife. In that instance, the boxes could not be looked over, under, in, or behind. You had to open the boxes up to look in. What excuse are you going to have for not finding the pitchfork or the garden fork? Is there some other excuse you're going to have for that? No, as discussed in the committal proceedings, there was a garden fork there as part of the garden equipment behind the barbecue, and that search of the garage was for the purpose of finding a knife or a timber paddle. Alright, well... I will talk about what rubbish that is later on. Let's continue on here for a moment. But you're looking for anything that might be of forensic value, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. But, and obviously if we found a gun, we would bring it to Fiona's attention. So without moving the barbecue, you could see the pitchfork? There was gardening equipment. The pitchfork, shovel, rake or broom. With, by looking behind and down because we were looking for a knife of whichever size, big or small, so that's what we were looking for. I see. So what you did was, you focused on the issue of the knife. You developed this tunnel vision on the issue of a knife, like the tunnel vision that developed in respect to Max Seeker. I withdraw that. And you ignored other possible implements that could have caused the blunt force. Is that what you're saying? Perhaps that's probably a good description, yes. But you heard, I think. That's what you said, didn't you? Yes, I was informed by either Fiona or Rich or another police officer that we were looking for items, i.e. 
a wooden paddle or a knife that may have inflicted the injuries. Oh, come on. That's just absolute rubbish. You were just searching for a knife and a wooden paddle? Yes, that's true. The wooden paddle was openly there. You could see it in the photo. And you are telling me that you searched, as a scientific officer with 10 years' experience, you zeroed in your mind or you developed this tunnel vision of looking for a knife and a paddle to the to ignore every single other item. Is that what your training was? At the time of the search, we were searching for a knife and a wooden paddle and looking for blood upon those items. That's all you're informed? Yes. There was conversations in relation to a gun early in the piece and obviously if we had found a pistol in our search for a knife, we would have alerted Fiona. How are you going to find a pistol, witness? If you don't move a barbecue, which is covered by a big black cover and has implements behind it. As I've said from the very beginning, whether we move the barbecue or not, I do not recall. I at no time have stated that we didn't or did move that barbecue. What I was going to allude to, the reason that the knife was looked at, it was out of context and in that environment in the garage. The reason the pitchfork wasn't picked up and looked at, it was completely plausible to have a pitchfork amongst other gardening equipment in that location in the garage. Alright. Do you recall it specifically mentioning the blunt trauma? I believe the blunt trauma was in reference to the timber paddle. Could I just ask you perhaps straight out, instead of beating around the bush, could you possibly tell me how you could miss as an experienced scientific officer with the other officer, how you could miss the prospective murder weapon, the alleged murder weapon, when it's standing up and you can see it behind, allegedly behind a barbecue, which is against the northeastern wall where, or around about the area where you find this knife. How could you possibly have missed this item which clearly had stains on it, which were presumptive of blood, or possibly presumptive of blood? In relation to the garden fork, I recall there being gardening equipment there, right? I recall that we were using a white light source to look at things to see if there was anything. I didn't notice whether or not I specifically looked at the gardening fork or not. And in relation to it being discovered later, the information at hand would have indicated the bludgeoning was involved. And then it would have been a more likely object to have been used for that sort of activity and came under closer scrutiny. All right. And did you look at any garden tools that you recall? I don't have a specific recollection of searching the garden tools, but I do recall them being there. You see, some five days later, as I understand it, there was a pitchfork found with blood on it belonging to, or at least which the DNA said, is a mixture of cities, kunals, and nilmas. Now that was with a group of other tools and where some boxes were in the garage. Are you saying that you didn't, in the several days that you were there as a crime scene investigator, you didn't see it? On the first evening of the 22nd, only the path to the door was examined in the garage area. They're just going for a stroll. Sunday stroll. That must have been if they missed the fork. Pitchfork, mustn't they? Please explain to me how you could miss that object. I can't explain. But what I'm suggesting to you, if you saw sticking up from that barbecue a handle of an implement, such as a shovel or something like that, 
It wouldn't be a quantum leap or outside your expertise or training to remove that barbecue so you could have a look at it, would it? No. Okay. Indeed, it would be the practice. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. So, you don't know that in the photos themselves, it's probably a metre away from where the pitchfork and other garden tools were? I don't recall the exact location. And do you say that when you went into that garage with Detective Joe some 13 days later, that the first thing Joe drew to your attention was this, as opposed to the rake or the hoe, the first thing he drew your attention to was in fact the handle of that garden fork? Not the handle, sir. He looked over the edge and could see down and said, hang on, what's that? I asked him to pick it up, pull it out, and that's when we discovered those marks, sir. Okay. Do you recall any of those comments? Not exactly. Like there was comments made about the fork, and because previous to that, nothing had indicated to us that we were looking for the fork. There was a paddle and there were some other things that were examined extensively from the house and there had been no indication from any pathologist anything about the fork that a fork could possibly have been used. You have heard me say I couldn't believe their evidence. To be accurate, I didn't believe their evidence. Neither did Jeff Johnson. We concluded there were probably more photographs and videos we considered whether they had been excised from what was provided to the defence and to the court. A big claim. A very serious allegation. When Jeff Johnson agreed to look at this case in 2018, he was provided with the entire police file provided to Max Seeker's defence barrister, Sam DiCarlo. Every photograph and video taken. Every statement taken. But that did not stop DiCarlo thumping the bar table at the committal proceedings, demanding police produce the rest of the photographs of the barbecue area, which never happened. A right to information application for photographs and videos of that area of the garage containing the barbecue and garden fork was made on 16 February 2023. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. The application was refused on 21 April 2023, the anniversary of the date the Queensland Police Service claimed the murders occurred. The reason provided was that it may cause distress to the Singh family and others connected to the family. The same week, Shirley Singh was interviewed for newspapers and television. Why would police excise videos or photographs anyway? Here is a proposition for you to consider. What if the garden fork was not the murder weapon? That would mean the murder weapon has never been found. That would mean the killers brought the murder weapon with them to the house. That would mean the killers took the murder weapon away with them 
from the crime scene. That would mean the killers planned the murders. And I use the plural on purpose. An organised murder rather than Max Seeker killing Nilma in a moment of passion. Of course, it doesn't conclude conclusively that Max Seeker wasn't the killer. It just is more difficult to connect him to the crimes. So you may understand why having the garden fork as a murder weapon was critical to the Crown case. A cynic could point out disproving the garden fork was the murder weapon was crucial to the defence case. Good point, and I agree completely. So let's explore the evidence. Which brings me to the new images. We have a conundrum. You have just listened to the bizarre excuses given by several police explaining why the garden fork was never examined. Jeff Johnson and I wondered whether there was a smoking gun, a photograph or video that contradicted the claims by the various witnesses when it came to that area of the garage. Photographs or video that had been culled from the file. We scoured hundreds and hundreds of photographs and videos provided by the Queensland Police Service. None were found. If they ever existed, they had been expertly excised from the record. Recently, Jeff Johnson did find an image that contradicted the witnesses' claims. This image was found on a video that was not about the barbecue storage area. It just happened to be in the background. He needed to have the image enhanced to make sense of it. I looked at the image, conducted my own enhancements and confirmed what he found. Once we knew where and how to look, we found another. Others probably exist as well. A smoking gun does exist, and I say that with a tinge of sadness. Sadness because these images prove that the sworn evidence the police officers gave was flat out wrong. The images strongly suggest someone manipulated evidence in the crime scene, and it had to be a police officer. There is no other explanation. Jeff Johnson does not believe the garden fork was the murder weapon. I have reached the same conclusion. The evidence indicates someone smeared the garden fork with blood from the three victims and planted the fork in the garage area to implicate Max Seeker. An incredibly outrageous claim and a disgusting allegation. But hear me out. I'm strongly reminded of what happened in the Leanne Holland murder case. It took me a long time to accept that police planted evidence in that investigation. That shock turned to anger when I saw how other police continued the charade in the review conducted in 2012. It wasn't about justice. It was all about pride, ego, saving face, upholding the good name of the QPS. But what happened in the Singh investigation plums new depths in shameful conduct. After all, it is not every day you find evidence a person was fitted up for a triple murder. And based on the photographic evidence Jeff Johnson uncovered, 
Max Seeker was fitted up for the murders of the Singh children. Very serious allegations. Where and what is the proof? Let's take it one step at a time, just so we are clear. I have placed a composite of the only two known photographs taken by police of the area the Garden Fork was found in on the two Facebook pages. I have numbered the composite as photograph one. In the images, there is a jumble of boxes and a clothes dryer in the general area. The covered barbecue can be seen as well as a clothes area. Photograph two on the Facebook pages is an image from a QPS video. I have viewed the entire police video and can confirm its authenticity. That video was taken on 25 April 2003, three days after the bodies were found. The video was of a walk through the crime scene by Max Seeker and Detective Sergeant Zitney, the arresting officer. In the image pasted on Facebook, part of the barbecue and a long stepladder can be seen behind Max Seeker and Detective Sergeant Zitney. What happened to that ladder? When was it moved? Who moved the ladder? That step ladder, or one similar to it, was later seen in photographs in other areas of the crime scene. So we are now being asked to believe police moved some items from that area of the crime scene, but not others. Photograph 3 on the Facebook pages was taken 5 May 2003 the day the garden fork was finally inspected and concluded to be the murder weapon. This is how the police claim the area looked when the arresting officer inspected the garden fork and saw blood on the teens. The photograph clearly shows the garden fork tucked snug in behind the barbecue. You have just listened to comments regarding the search of this area. As early as 23 April 2003, Immediately after the post-mortems of the victims, investigators knew they were looking for a heavy metal implement or similar that caused extensive head injuries to the victims. Canal suffered a fractured skull, after all. All three victims suffered severe head injuries. Police immediately seized a trident spear from the first floor of the house, as you would. But you are being asked to believe... No one bothered to inspect a heavy, pronged metal implement behind the barbecue. In photograph 3, one broom can be seen on the left of the barbecue and at the corner of the garage. Some small tools, perhaps secateurs, are also visible. Behind the barbecue can be seen a small stepladder with a long-handled implement to the left of it, two long-handled implements to the right of it, and the enclosed black handle of what we now know is the garden fork. The top of the garden fork is roughly one brick higher than the stepladder and two bricks to the right of the stepladder. Electrical conduit can be seen to the right of the garden fork. The barbecue covered in a black plastic cover is in the foreground and next to that is a clothes dryer. Below the barbecue can be seen a piece of off-cut carpet that the garden fork was resting on. It should be noted, no blood had dripped down the fork and pooled on that carpet. Not one drop from a bloodied instrument that had brutally bashed three people around the head. 
Head wounds bleed profusely, but not in these murders, it seemed. Photograph 4 on the Facebook pages is an image from a police video taken 2 May 2003, three days before the Garden Fork was found. The enhanced image recently found by Jeff Johnson. Again, I have viewed the entire video and confirmed its origin. Where is the Garden Fork that had been seen by all and touched by none? Where is the barbecue hard up against the stepladder? The brickwork where the Garden Fork handle should be seen is uninterrupted. Three long-handled implements are now visible to the left of the small stepladder and one to the right of it or behind it. What looks to me like a cot can be seen on the right of the frame. Compare photographs three and four. Take your time. Pause the podcast if you wish. Such a dramatic change in the layout of the garage in just three days. How can this anomaly be explained? I initially looked at those images and thought, is there any alternative explanation for this? Unfortunately, I could not find any rational explanation other than the evidence had been manipulated. But if I was someone with an invested interest in the case and wanted to muddy the water, I would say this. So what? Those images just show the Sockos were doing their job, searching for evidence. Of course they moved items around. That is their job. They should be congratulated, not criticised. It is just unfortunate no one examined the garden fork until 5 May. And so what that an officer moved the barbecue in the garden fork between the 2nd and the 5th or even earlier? In any other circumstances, claims by police of plausible deniability might just wash, except that moving the barbecue in the garden fork around before 5 May 2003 does not fit with the sworn evidence given anywhere in this case. The police witnesses are locked into the narrative they created, an insurmountable problem. And then I also considered this. Or was this the work of a rogue officer who fabricated the whole garden fork as a murder weapon theory, in which case there will be a lot of finger pointing? Police will become very coy about what they saw and touched in the garage. Likely, someone will have to be thrown under the bus. What is the truth? I do not know. All I know for sure is the circumstances of the garden fork being found behind the barbecue has been terminally corrupted. And how do you prove anyway that the garden fork was not the murder weapon? Jeff Johnson attempted to have the garden fork itself sent off for independent testing. His written request to Queensland Health, the Director of Public Prosecutions, Crown Law and the Attorney-General were all ignored. Did others also doubt the veracity of the police officer's claims? Or was it just coincidental that all four agencies ignored the requests? Did they all just hope it would go away? When his repeated requests were ignored... Johnson forwarded the police photographs of the blood on the teens of the Garden Fork to an independent forensic lab for analysis. 
Not a perfect world, but what choice did he have when he was refused the actual fork? This is part of what the lab reported. I reported this in episode 18 also, but in light of the new image, its relevance becomes even more significant. From the supplied photographs, the red-brown staining, assumed to be blood, appears to be in the form of transfer stains. A transfer stain is blood staining that has been deposited onto the fork through contact with a blood-bearing surface. There is no evidence of impact blood staining that would be caused by strike or blow into wet blood. An impact blood stain pattern results from an object striking liquid blood. On that independent evaluation, it is very likely the garden fork was never the murder weapon and that the blood on the fork did not come from splatter and that is from photographs. Just imagine what could be done with the actual garden fork. Why didn't the Queensland lab pick up on that? They inspected the fork after all. Maybe they did. It may explain why all government departments were desperate not to release the garden fork for independent analysis. I could simply finish the podcast here and comment I hope the Queensland police do a better job in the future. I could add it's a shame they made such a mess of the Singh investigation. I could suggest that perhaps better training is required in searching crime scenes. That would be the easy option. What I'm seeing, however, is a course of corrupt conduct, with the goal being of showing Max Seeker as the killer, when that evidence never existed. I am seeing evidence of a rogue police officer manipulating evidence and fitting up Max Seeker for the Singh murders. I hope I am wrong. If you do not agree with me, please explain to me what I am missing. I am open to constructive criticism. What needs to happen from here? The case needs to return to the Court of Appeal immediately. And if the Court of Appeal ever gets to consider the real evidence, I believe Massimo Sica will become a two percenter. That is, his conviction will be quashed and a verdict of not guilty entered instead of being ordered to stand trial again. A big call, I know. And that would be a very unhappy day for the Queensland Government and the Queensland Police Service. And you know my previous thoughts on the chances of this case ever getting to the Court of Appeal. Zero. Although those odds have now ratcheted up a notch or two with the smoking gun evidence. Corrupt introduction of a murder weapon and giving false evidence at trial cannot and must not be ignored or covered up by government. To do so encourages those in authority to continue such corruption unabated. And all of this has caused me to reflect on the conduct of Max Seeker. In the first 12 months after the murders, Max Seeker answered every question put to him by police. He never declined to answer questions. He never asked for a solicitor. He provided DNA, fingerprints, footprints and everything asked of him by police willingly. Even though in the days after the murders, he publicly declared he was aware he was the main suspect for the murders. 
We never heard about any of that from the media. Max Seeker walked through the crime scene with police, pointing out what he saw and did. What we did hear and see was Max Seeker being handcuffed and placed in a police car at every opportunity. Whenever the Queensland police spoke with Max Seeker, a media pack was waiting, and obviously not by chance. They conducted character assassination. Some may say Max Seeker had no character worth assassinating, and they may be right. But when you have no evidence connecting a person to a brutal triple murder, portray him as the bad guy. Feed the media snippets of the investigation. Hold his trial in the court of public opinion. And it worked brilliantly. It does not give me joy to be reporting this smoking gun. Some may say I have a grudge against the police, which is patently untrue. The police actually do me a favour. Their conduct makes me out to be a great investigator, when in fact I'm mediocre. I do not hold a gripe against the police. They do a tough job. I know that. Under tough circumstances. And mostly a thankless job. And I have enormous respect for the job they do. But I will call Queensland Police out when they get it wrong. Every single time. As I did in the Holland case. And as I do here. And their misconduct led to Max Seeker being convicted of the murders. The evidence shows he clearly did not and could not have committed. Does it get any worse than that? Sending a man to prison for 35 years because you decided he was guilty. On that basis, we might as well do away with judges and juries. Just let the Queensland Police manage our criminal justice system. But it is worse than that. Their conduct will have an everlasting adverse impact on our judicial system. What happened to the rule of law? And the Singh children killers are still out there. I am a justice tragic. And I believe people who commit murders must be punished. And I want the killers of the Singh children punished. And they haven't been. And I'll also throw this out there. Do you think only a small core of police know what really happened in the crime scene during that investigation? I can assure you there are likely a number within the Queensland Police who know what happened and remained silent. Some within Crown Law may even suspect what happened and remain silent. Do you think for one moment Jeff Johnson and I were the only ones to read the many incredulous claims made throughout the investigation and trial and call bullshit. Police are human after all. They talk. They gossip. Brag and swap war stories over a few beers. Just as would have happened after the Holland murder investigation. Do you think for a moment any experienced police officer swallowed the claim that fingerprint powder found its way under plastic and newspaper. They likely choked on their beer when told that one. Do you think, for a moment, any experienced police officer believed the story 
A whole area in a crime scene was missed being searched, photographed and fingerprinted. Potentially the biggest murder investigation in the history of the Queensland Police Service. There were five police present when the footprints appeared like magic on the stairs. Those police had well over 100 years of policing experience between them. One was a detective inspector in charge of homicide. They were complicit in the conspiracy by their silence. What I find stunning is that it took more than 10 years for this monumental stupidity to be exposed. Operation Bravo Settler will become synonymous with Operation Amateur Hour, managed by Keystone Cops. April 2023 was the 20th anniversary of those brutal murders. Shirley Singh was interviewed by many media outlets, as you would expect. It had a devastating impact on her life. I cannot even begin to imagine. She also released a book written about her life by a friend. I have not read the book and I am undecided whether I will. She was evasive and less than truthful when I interviewed her last year. Courier Mail Chief Crime Reporter Tom Chamberlain interviewed Detective Superintendent Massingham on their anniversary. Superintendent Massingham was one of the original investigators of the Singh murders. He was quoted as saying, The footprint evidence, together with such evidence as Seeker's confessions to a friend, Andrea B., were crucial in the investigation. Interesting to know. Crucial in the investigation. Massingham wasn't present the day the footprint evidence became part of this story and part of history. Did he call bullshit on the footprint evidence when he heard about it? I wonder what his thoughts are on that now. I wonder if he has read the Bond University report. Perhaps I should send it to him. Did Homicide Chief Michael Condon call bullshit on the footprint evidence? You may remember Mr Condon. He rose to the rank of Assistant Commissioner, but left the police trailing a string of controversies behind him. He was at the centre of the botched arrest of the killer of Daniel Morecambe. He was at the centre of the botched investigation into the death of Geoffrey Brooks. He was at the centre of the botched review of the Leanne Holland murder. And he was the senior officer present at the very questionable footprint evidence in the Singh murders investigation. Quite the track record. Curiously, Condon did not provide a statement about what he observed in the crime scene that day, nor did he give evidence at trial. His minions were left to carry the can in relation to the footprints. Did Queensland Police Management know and sanction what was going down in this investigation? Or were they just asleep at the wheel? But I do invite Superintendent Massingham and Mr Condon to debate the evidence on the podcast. I did write to Chief Crime Reporter Tom, but as I expected, 
I have not received a reply. And what evidence did Queensland Police have before the crucial footprint evidence and the garden fork evidence? Not a lot, actually. The footprint evidence materialised six days after the bodies were discovered. If the footprint evidence is false, made up, and I believe the evidence shows that, someone decided within six days that the killer wore a size 11 shoe. That certainly significantly reduced the suspect pool they claimed they had. By seven days later, it was decided it was crucial to find the murder weapon inside the house. I know I will not endear myself to the Queensland Police, the investigators involved in the Singh murders, and many others over this podcast, and particularly this episode. They do like to shoot the messenger when possible. I anticipate I will pay a price for telling this story. So what happens from here? Crown Law, the Queensland Government, and the Queensland Police Service are already aware a shitstorm is brewing on the horizon. They are aware of the substantial, serious and compelling claims set out in the petition and the affidavits. The immediate reaction will be damage control and to deny, delay, stall, obfuscate, attack Jeff Johnson, myself and any journalist who dare broadcast a story. They know they have time on their side. Mainstream media will not touch the story. We know that. Compliant journalists would dare not go against the Queensland Police party line. Jeff Johnson's investigations have essentially put the story on a platter for any serious journalist. It will be interesting to see if one of them picks it up. To date, none have dared. The next Queensland state election is due on 26 October 2024, about 18 months away. I am guessing the government would want to kick the can down the road until long after that date and deal with it then. If that surprises you, here is a story on the Keogh case I mentioned earlier. After continual media frenzy surrounding the Keogh conviction, the South Australian Government commissioned an independent report. The report concluded Keogh was likely innocent. The Attorney-General filed that report and took no action. He then went on to become the Chief Justice of South Australia. The report remained buried for nine years before it saw the light of day. Nine years. Months after that report was made public, Keogh was exonerated and released. There were journalists actively following the case, but of course no one knew of the existence of that report. Keogh ended up serving 20 years in prison. He could have been out in 10 years had the South Australian government acted honourably. But there was no honour by any government department involved in that mess. Keogh did receive a multi-million dollar settlement, but no amount of money would bring back those 20 years. This whole saga leaves a dirty taste in my mouth, and I am ashamed of what has happened in the Seeker case. It makes a mockery of the Queensland Police Service motto, 
with honour we serve. Where was that honour in the Singh murder investigation? Where was the honour in the Holland murder investigation and in the police review of 2012? I know many good police will share my shame and my horror, but some of them have seen it before. Older ones lived and worked through the Fitzgerald inquiry days. I hope they step up and do something, although I doubt they will. They do not want to be that messenger. They know what awaits them if they go down that road. The price they pay will likely be heavier than the price I will pay. Thanks for listening.